I'm Grace. I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they're maybe even better for adults. Yeah. This week, Arrows of the Queen by Mercedes Lackey. It's great. This episode was a listener request from Jenny. Thank you so much, Thank Jenny. Thank you, Jenny. For requesting this series. It's fun to read more Mercedes Lackey. If you would like to request a book for us to cover that is important to you from a nostalgic perspective, you can shoot us an email at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. And we will read it. It'll just take us, you know. Yeah, we're really behind on email responses right now. That is to say, I am behind because I'm the one who checks our emails. But Madeline (laughs) sits here and looks cute and that's what matters. Which uh, translates really well to this entirely audio medium but thanks grace you're welcome so as we usually do we're going to break down the cover and the publisher's blurb and kind of talk about how the publisher chose to package and promote this book Mm -hmm. the edition that we have is a fine seattle public library edition seattle public library shout out to the seattle public library (laughs) i have this past year been Somewhat broke, and the library has been such a lifesaver. Mm-hmm. Um, I've loved libraries my entire life, but you become older, you get your own budget and funds to spend on whatever you want. And if you're like me, that's often books, and you want to retain them, so you just keep buying and buying and buying. Your shelves are filling up, your wallet is running thin, and you then, can't see your floors anymore. <laughs> you can't see your floors anymore. You're sleeping literally at books under my bed and behind my bed. It, it doesn't end. Um, and when you need someone to step in and say, hey, what about a borrowing system? It, it really it helps out. So who, who intervened <laughs> on your book when problem? When the, the library wizard knocks on your door, sure, sure, you take heed. Okay, that that's all yeah. I have to say. Yeah. Also, Seattle Public Library, if you're looking for a library wizard, just to be clear, not a librarian. I am in no way a librarian. <laughs> but she is a library wizard. I am an accredited library wizard, so please get in touch with the aforementioned email address. She'd probably do it for free. Heirs of the Queen. This edition is one of the first printings from March 1987. Um, oh. It features a... That's the year Grace was born. It is. This book is exactly as old as me. No, it's a couple months older. Okay. <laughs> Uh, the cover features a painting by Jody Lee and it's fantastic. It is glorious. Wonderful. As always, we will put the cover on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com for you to check out. It is so eighties in a very satisfying and real way. Right. In a good way. It is a color palette of pinks and purples and it's got, you know, it's like fantasy Lisa Frank is how I feel I would like to describe, oh, describe this cover. There is a lovely Talia looking concerned sitting atop Roland with a flowing orange scarf and her little close cropped auburn curls. Oh. Roland has a silver bridle, a saddle that's carved with faces of Harold's past, and it's just so majestic that you can't even handle it there's a mountain peak behind them and a sparse forest and then also a i don't even know what this border is it's a variety of textures it's great it's great Um, it looks kind of like a curtain or like pillars or you know right like they're emerging onto a fantastical 80s stage um but really the best part of the cover is the mysterious floating head that's just on the back don't know who it is. I don't know who that's supposed to be. I don't I really know what's don't. happening. From the start of the book, I was like, I can't wait to definitely reach the point when I'm like, that's the floating head. Don't know who it is. Talamir? It's wearing a crown. And is a young man? Person of Woman? indeterminate gender? Yeah, it's a very indeterminate face. Could be the queen? Like, it could be the queen? Anyway, excellent cover. I am all for this type of art, and I hope to see more of it. 10 out of 10. Adorning my fantasy. Madeline, would you like to, for those who have not read the book before or who haven't visited it in some time, give us a brief plot summary? Just a warning, spoilers ahead. We do spoil every book we cover completely thoroughly. All right, now I have the book. (laughs) Now 
am in charge. See? Page shirting sounds. That's what you come for. Okay. This book is about Talia. She is from a very rural outskirts community. Uh, their way of life is very difficult. There's not a lot of men. There's a lot more women. So the men take multiple wives and the girls. And yet the patriarchy is so oppressive. Yeah. It's some rough stuff. It was my, I'm sorry to already editorialize and interrupt you, but my problem with the beginning of the book was why would this society be like this mm-hmm. when the women so outnumber the men? But of course the women because who are men in are charge a commodity. Are, men are a commodity and then the women are complicit in what yeah, the they men got who are in charge one do. Internalized nonsense. I know, but ugh, it was bad. It was really bad. And it sounds like they have a whole religious system that also exists to further subjugate the women. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's all about <laughs> unsurprisingly the women being uh, like uh, means to an end. Mm-hmm. And Talia, they're was, called Holderkin. Yeah, and Talia was gonna join that. Like it was her thirteenth birthday, so she's supposed to get married and start popping out babies. Um, and she said, "No, screw that, out of here." So she ran away and hid in a bush, and uh, then. Uh, she was found by her companion, whose name is Roland. And uh, then she started learning a lot more about Harold's than she learned from just reading her books. And um, she was brought by Roland to the capital. Roland is a horse. So I'm just going <laughs> to put that detail out there. Roland is a horse. Okay. More than a horse, but a he's, horse. He's like a magical alien <laughs> deity. <laughs> Horse. (laughs) Demigod horse. Yeah. Um, And she learns that not only is she to be a herald, which is this kind of magical knight protector of the kingdom. Like a judge and a soldier. and A knight. A police officer. Yeah. Rolled into one. A magical knight, I think. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to go back to what I first said. (laughs) A knight. (laughs) You're correct. Oh, And uh, she finds out that she is going to be the most special one because she is going to be not only a herald, but she's supposed to be the companion to the queen. Uh, Much like her horse is a companion to her, she's supposed to be like a supporter and advisor for the queen, which all the heralds kind of are, but she's supposed to be the special one. Yeah, the number one, like the king's hand in A Song of Ice and Fire. Yes, exactly. Um, Or the vizier you would call it in like historical context uh so i don't want history i want fantasy there we go hand of the queen and uh, she finds out the queen is actually the queen to be uh she's also kind of the current queen's companion in that way yeah she's a and then ultimately and she's an like emotional a, laborer for everyone right. that she comes across. Yeah, because yes. her magic power all the heralds have magic powers and her magic power is that she can sense others' emotions and also alter them, which is like she's a really intense power. The other one's powers are not as cool. Um I like I like when uh, the one dude sets a rock on fire. That was pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, she has a really hard time trusting people at first because she's been horribly abused her entire life. She's afraid of men. Um, the heralds that are training her, she's in like herald school. Um, she gets bullied by some crappy nobles kids, but she gets rescued by the other heralds. She learns a lot about herself and others in the process. Um, and by the end she does come to trust um, the heralds and she becomes part of a family, which is um, there's a really neat uh, trope of choosing your own family when you're, the blood that you come from is just garbage. <laughs> so you don't have to be their family. You can choose your own family. Um, and uh, there's also there's a subplot, which isn't extremely fleshed out. No. About the king. So the queen married the king. He was the prince because he married into the family. And because of the way that both bloodlines and heraldship work, mm-hmm. he could never be 
equal to the queen right. because he didn't have a companion. He wasn't chosen. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was always going to be lesser than her. So he was trying to plot a way to overtake her and take the throne. Yes. Thank you, Grace. Talia helps to uncover this continuing plot that is the fruit of the prince's labors and some nobles are executed and no more bad plot to usurp the queen and kill her heralds. Yeah. And we'll talk about, we'll talk more about about that. that. Yeah. The end. And she also, since she, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that summary. You're welcome. So let's discuss our old and new impressions. Um, since this was a listener request and it's not one that we've read before, I don't have any old impressions to speak of. And I have never read Mercedes Lackey before. Mm-hmm. Um, although I know she is well respected and prolific. Um, so Madeline, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts about her work because I know you're more familiar with it. Yeah. So, uh, and this is one of her earlier books. Yes. Yeah. I have read the Obsidian Trilogy, which, um, I mean, it could be young adult in the way that like you could take any fantasy as young adult. There isn't any like explicit. Well, does it feel as firmly young adult as this book does? No, never mind. It's an adult trilogy. Um, I take back what I was saying as I was remembering some other things. Uh, it's it's great. It is a really intense uh, world, like the world building that went into it and the magic system and the religion and like the different forces and everything is, there's a lot. It's There's just a lot. I, there's three books and I think they were all like 30 hours long. Um, and uh, she wrote that one in a writing partnership with James Mallory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was looking at some of her other work, and it looks like she does a lot of um, partner writing. Hmm. Um, and this one she did solo. Uh, I, For me, it was really interesting to read such a different kind of book from the Obsidian Trilogy because I spent so much time in that universe. Mm-hmm. And it was, I thought for a second that maybe it was like the same universe that she was developing, but it's definitely not. Um, unless I'm wrong, correct me, but the magic system seems totally different. Um, and there weren't ties to anything like that. Um, there is also different because it's just humans and companions versus in her, the trilogy that I read, it's a bunch of different races of Mm. things what is interesting we get allusions at the end of this book to some of the other magical creatures like griffins Mm. that are existing kind of at the outskirts but they are definitely not the focus of this book yeah so i mean this totally could and that kind of feels like setting the table for the rest of the trilogy Mm -hmm. i mean this totally could take place in a cohesive universe that this is just like a small corner of because it does feel pretty provincial Mm -hmm. all of it does Mm -hmm. um but I, I like her writing. I like, I actually like the way she kind of switches from person to person because you get to see inside a lot more people's heads than you do in a lot of, um, fantasy fiction. Um, and I, I, I really like her characters a lot. Like the, her characters are really easy to bond with and to empathize with. Um, And the way she writes animals is also really fun. Yeah, she has a really natural skill for imbuing personality to even uh, side characters, Mm -hmm. um, even folks that don't spend that much time on the page. And they're instantly recognizable, even though in this book, for example, there are a lot of names um, and a lot of folks because they're at the collegium, they're at the school where all the heralds are being taught, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of people coming in and out all the time. Yeah. Um, but I was always like happy to see each one when they did show up for a second time, and something like the I I hesitate to even say this is the culmination of the conflict in the book because honestly, the book is kind of a series of small conflicts as opposed to rising action. Right. um, That ends in something more extreme um, Mm -hmm. and more significant than the other events. I would say the most intense conflict actually happens in the middle of the book when Talia is almost killed 
by the children of some of the court conspirators. Yeah, yeah, that part is um, because Talia almost dies. Yeah, uh, but at the end of the book, a uh, Harold who she has become close with and who is one of her teachers does die, mm-hmm. and Talia sees that through her emotional gift because she is witnessing her in that moment. Like, she's followed her along to where she's being ambushed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the... Uh, impetus for all of the conflict threads relating to the court plot being wrapped up Mm -hmm. Um, because the woman who dies, Ilsa has secret, not, not secret has somehow obtained written confessions from, and that are signed written and signed by the folks in the court who were plotting to overthrow the queen. And she has somehow with Elspeth, the heir to the throne. Right. Um, so then some other heralds or heralds in training uh, grab the objects from miles away and they're there in the court and then uh, everything's going to be okay. That story is not, it feels um, not quite finished. <laughs> Agree. And yeah. But the reason I brought it up wasn't to complain about it right now at least. It was to say that... Grace wants to complain. It was to say that Ilsa, who doesn't really spend that much time being a character in the book, um, I still feel the loss of her pretty significantly. And we see her lover mourning her. Mm -hmm. We see the way that the other people in their community are affected by that mourning and by their own grief Mm -hmm. and just kind of witnessing the way that these interconnected friendships and relationships play out um, was really intimate and really touching. And I felt like the collegium community as a whole just felt very warm and real. Yes. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, I think that she's also great at writing good people Mm -hmm. that it's believable that these are, these people just are really good yeah. Like, that's just how they're like this. Because a lot of times in fantasy, it's like, okay, well, yeah, this is some kind of Jesus metaphor. Like, no mm-hmm. one's this nice. Mm-hmm. and Yeah, uh, or someone has received a great gift, so they're mm-hmm. able to rise above the fray right. and be the, yeah, the saintly one. Yeah, but in this one, I mean, the, the people in power are good people. And, like, they're striving to protect that goodness, which is pretty cool. And we see a lot of the queen who is the one who is at least responsible in some way for the deaths of many of Mm -hmm. the heralds because they do have a very dangerous job and they are purposefully sent out on dangerous tasks and seeing her mourning them and also feeling significant regret and anger with herself for having to dispatch them in this way and send them out on those journeys, Mm -hmm. um, which is also missing from a lot of fantasy. Yeah. Um, The feeling of like the burden of being responsible for good people's deaths. Yeah. There's so much grief in this book. Mm -hmm. And I think the book as a whole can really be read as an exercise in overcoming your own trauma and then using that lived experience to help others overcome theirs. Yeah. Because Talia really becomes a therapist. Yeah. Um, That's the, that is the culmination of her skills of her gift. Yeah. Um, And she is able to do so in a way that isn't exhausting to her or depleting her own emotional stores any more than in a natural way, but it's not, triggering to her to and bringing her back to her own abuse from her childhood Mm -hmm. and her neglect um and it's actually it actually feels good for her and she coming in is so terrified and has ptsd from her life growing up and to the point that it's hard for her to even form casual friendships with anyone else in the collegium Mm -hmm. and it does take a near-death experience plus a few very dedicated figures, um, one being her companion, Horace yeah. Roland, mm. and one being Jadis, an older Harold. I really who, like his character. He's so lovely. Yeah. Um, 
he kept reminding me of Miles from uh, the Lion oh, totally, Quartet. Also, totally, yeah. Um, serving as an, a replacement parental a figure yeah. um, for the young female protagonist. Yeah, no, I mean, so, so many. I was thinking about this while I was reading it, too. Like, really awesome and healthy messages. Like, you're saying not only about... overcoming trauma and being able to help other people because of those experiences, but also about finding good people and uh, And believing that they still exist. Yeah. Yeah. And being open to bonding with those people, despite like serious, um, understandable blocks to that kind of emotional involvement. It's really cool because I think it's very brave as a writer, especially a fantasy writer, where I think you're expected to take your plot and your characters off in these really whimsical and extreme directions Mm -hmm. to focus an entire book on how to feel good and help other people feel good. Yeah, Um, I was really touched by that Mm -hmm. and yeah like you said I think there are just some super healthy messages especially as so the book covers three years in Talia's education at the collegium um, and that is accomplished with a lot of time jumping which I didn't always love because it could happen very suddenly (laughs) so yeah get a little yanked out of where I had been spending my time and enjoying my time with this story. And then suddenly like, oh, well, none of that matters now. (laughs) And there are funny things like seemingly for like almost a year, Talia and her would-be lover Skiff are attempting to get physical with one another. And they keep falling asleep. And I was just like... I mean, true to life. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) it's tiring out here Uh, um but i just thought that was so funny and it also made me think like if i had been reading this when i was young and i was like yeah gonna be some sexy stuff and then i would just be like no what's wrong with these people why are you doing this to me I just want to excerpt your little, yeah, I'm going to be some sexy stuff from like <laughs> preteen Madeline and just play that before any possible <laughs> sexy situation <laughs> in life. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. And I did appreciate that the two of them end up saying like, hey, you know, maybe we're just not like they that physically attracted yeah, to like each other. Yeah, like if we can't overcome sleep <laughs> Something's over wrong. a period of months of trying and like being unsupervised, like free to Something's do as we wrong. would like, then yeah. obviously we're neither of us is that into it. And in the end, they become, you know, blood siblings yeah. and vow to be each other's family because they don't have other family members. Yeah. And I, I loved that too. Which I loved really the lack yeah. of focus on a romantic relationship, which makes sense at this time in Talia's life, yeah. even though I know we need to be thinking of this age as like during a medieval setting and she was about to get married at the beginning of the book, even though everyone also views that as but the, problematic. The heralds are outside of that. Like they, they have a very free love, like open totally. and everything's fine because they're all good people and they treat each other respectfully and in a healthy way. So yeah. it's not scary to, to have romantic relationships among mm-hmm. them because it's not like no one's going to backstab someone. No, totally. And I appreciate that while it's so clear reading the book that it is very sex positive mm-hmm. and that the community that they live in is accepting with reason. I mean, there are still people who are homophobic because two of the main characters, the heralds, are from more rural um, areas. Oh, you're so, okay. So there is, um, there's two women who are in a couple mm-hmm. And, and have been for a long many time. Years. Yeah, yeah, and it sounds like some a lot of times people from certain rural communities or just like in general have a problem with that. The line that really stuck with me that I felt was when um, I can't remember if it was Karen or Elsa uh, saying that they this this was kind of an internal moment when we're seeing it from their perspective. It was it was Karen. Is that how you pronounce her name? Karen. Karen. Yeah. 
it was when we were hearing Kieran's perspective and she was thinking about oh, what they, she had in her life and yeah. how she was balanced on Ilsa and her companion mm-hmm. and her twin, right? Mm, yeah. Um, so and, the, the audiobook narrator called her Karen, <laughs> which is, to me, Karen from like finance. very silly That's because very that funny. it was Karen and Cheryl. I know. <laughs> Yeah, alternating between the audiobook and reading the physical book, I was much more prone to giving the physical book spellings more fantastical pronunciations. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like how I always name myself like Madlean or something, you know, in my. um, Yeah, which could still be pronounced Madeline, I guess, or like Karen (laughs) in some special cases. Anyway, she's saying that. She has always felt that those who do know about her relationship with Ilsa, Mm -hmm. she feels that they try to keep a certain distance from her as if it's going to be catching to them for them to be associated with her or like they'll catch Mm -hmm. the gay or something like that, you know, along those lines, which is the way that a lot of people still feel today. For sure. For Um, sure. And or that they just don't want to associate because it's like it's wrong and like you know they just don't want to be around it it is like it's a very it's a really easy transition between like real world and fantasy world Mm -hmm. in a way that's not like disruptive to the fantasy world totally and I did like when Talia too she was like well no I mean there's only like two men in our place like the you know what does she say she's like lots of women had special friends <laughs> yeah. i was like along those lines yeah and when she said that i was like oh thank goodness there was at least one like nice maybe thing about her society world that yeah. you lived in um the point i was that I was getting to finishing is that even though you read the book, you can tell that it's sex positive. There isn't a ton of time spent on romantic relationships and it's not important that Talia's romantic relationship be a center focus of the book. She Mm -hmm. actually doesn't even really have one after all that. Instead, she just kind of like secondhand experiences other people's sexy feelings when she's going out emotionally exploring. Especially and her horse. Rollins. <laughs> yep. She is forced to witness him mating. Or not witness, but she feels it emotionally. So Talia feels like a horny male horse a to lot like, of the time. Who all the lady horses are into. Like because stud Yeah, he's like field. very popular. Um, so that was interesting. That was very interesting. <laughs> and I was, I was giggling as I listened to that part. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I appreciated that really the themes of this book, the, what Mercedes Lackey is concerned with in the overall narrative is Talia's emotional and intellectual growth. And that doesn't waver. Yeah. And along the way, we get some other incredible real life moments, like trying to teach a spoiled child how to, yeah treat other human beings with respect and yeah. actually appreciate the good things that they have in their life. Um, and I really like as like an, an evil treason plot, like let's, let's turn the air into a, let's jerk. make the worst kid let's that you can imagine like the worst kid. Total butt who everyone hates so that there's no way they'll ever let her be queen. And also make her so terrified of companions that hopefully she won't be yeah. able to be chosen so that she yeah. won't actually be able to become the queen. Um, Talia fixes her, though. She's a fixer. Yep, Talia's a fixer. Good old Talia. Yeah. It's it's hard. I think I do appreciate that Talia has a uh, kind of earth-shattering experience mid-book and then a lot of things change for her because yeah. I don't understand how else she could have possibly turned the way that she does and I'm not saying that if you're if you have significant trauma that you have to have a near-death experience um but that experience showed her how much everyone did she started to want the opportunity to care for her right and and because she then was so ill for so long because she was dumped into a frozen lake um and had pneumonia Mm -hmm. uh, and witnessed everyone sitting by her side and Jadis playing his yeah, harp for her. I really um, loved that. She had that opportunity to see what life could 
be like. Yeah, um, yeah it's just I, I can't believe how, how warm and loving this whole book was. Yeah. Like I said, I think it was very courageous for Mercedes Lackey to choose that focus. Mm-hmm. And in, in a lot of ways, I kind of wondered as, as I was reading it, too, um, I wondered if she like wrote it as a series of short stories hmm. because it it does feel like that um, because it's just episodes in Talia's life. That makes sense. I so I couldn't help contrasting it with um, Harry Potter. Oh, see, um, I kept just thinking of um, the first Lioness book and the first. Protector of the Strong book. I did think of Tamara Pierce. I thought of the Harry Potter series. Um, I also thought of the Dragon Riders of Pern hmm. um, because of the companion yeah. links and the mind calling and things like that. Yeah. And also the main character and going the brutal, from... like... Yeah, just a, a life in which they're not accepted or... And there's no way for them to use. make it, it better. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it's <laughs> all of those series also start with the main character in some form of complete duress. Like yeah. they're so obviously an outsider and an outcast mm-hmm. in their planned path, their yeah. life path. Um, not their own plan, but what society has deemed is appropriate for them. Yeah. And the beginning of this book is. Uh, extremely upsetting and I couldn't help but be a bit concerned that and I understand Talia has to heal first before she can figure out how she might be able to help some of the other girls that she grew up with who Mm -hmm. remain in the position that she was in because they weren't chosen and it's like well Talia was you know quote unquote special like she got to go and live out her dream but even though they're not special they don't deserve to be Be forced into child marriage yeah um which is a big problem but there are hints I think at the end of the book of Talia trying to figure out what she's going to be able to do when Mm -hmm. she's talking Oh, when there's a very upsetting scene where she is with one of her classmates in their gift lesson when they're learning how oh, to yeah. um, see. So initially her teacher thinks that she should be able to like, what do they call it? Her seeing they, they think that she can thought read or yeah. something like that, but yeah. it's not, she turns out to have a different kind of ability. Yeah, it's that she emotion reads. So yeah. the teacher has one of her classmates who came from, at that point, an unknown but horrific background mm-hmm. project a highly emotional scene at her. Yeah. Um, and it is him as a child about to be raped yeah and it brings up in her her own memories of what what her life was like and how there are still there was a passage that was just really hard for me because thinking about what children across the planet and in our own country Mm -hmm. right now are experiencing who I think they use the phrase who are trapped in their own still in their own hells. Um, and even though she's reached this safe place, now she needs to figure out a way to help them get to the safe place. Yeah. And, um, um, there is also one of the leaders says at that point, like, you know, you could, you try to save the people, uh, you try to help the people that you can. And it's when she's in the healing center and you try not to think about all the ones that you can't. And that really resonated with me because I'm a public interest attorney. I do civil legal aid and it sucks turning away cases that I can't take because I already have too many and I can't stretch myself thin or like even just because I only have one specific tool set and if someone's situation doesn't fit exactly into it, like I can't, that's not my area. I can't help them with that. And that's life. And it's, it's tough to come to terms with, but you have to, otherwise you won't be able to do the work that you're trying to do in the first place. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. I found that very, um, relevant. 
And you have to put yourself first so that you can right. provide. Otherwise, you won't be able to help anyone. To help at all. Yeah. If you're not standing on yeah. solid ground, you can't help anybody. Yeah. And seeing as we haven't read the Heralds of Valdemar trilogy and we don't know what happens in book two and three, yeah, I, I am I expecting I that this will be addressed further yeah. um, because the state of life for women in the Holderkin society is came from is acceptable. Horrifying. It's um, horrifying. Yeah. And it's so, it, yeah, it's odd to have that as the background um, of people saying like, oh yeah, things are weird in your sex. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also really similar to our own world. Um, yeah. So I guess I, I shouldn't be that surprised by it. It's just when different names are put on top of it and you have this different perspective, it becomes much more stark. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> clearly this book made us feel a, a lot, lot of things. things. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, very telling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I will sure. say too, I was worried that I would become annoyed by Talia as the book went on. Like you said, there's a risk of her becoming a Jesus character, mm-hmm. like this perfect savior and whatnot. And I think too, so as maybe this is just on a personal level, it felt exhausting for me to read about what Talia was doing for everyone because I would call myself uh, an introverted empath. So it's like, I do feel things super intensely and it's hard for me to not give to people what I know is what they want to, um, not what they want to hear, but what's going to be best for them to hear at my, at the cost of my own sort of autonomy, which leads to, and I say this like as understanding what you mean myself too it leads yeah. you to isolate yourselves from those situations because yeah. you, you can only give so much you yeah. you run dry yeah yeah and it you know in the past for me has like hurt my friendships and I haven't understood that I am the reason I'm so exhausted and that like I can't just like spend time with someone in that moment it isn't anything to do with them it's to do with me mm-hmm. and I just I need to find ways to be more emotionally conservative um so I was struggling at first to relate when Talia is God, like she goes out just of her able way to, to give and give and give and yeah. she she won't stop. But um, well, she's got like magic powers. Though. She a has magic powers. <laughs> <laughs> this is her magical gift. Yeah. And also you can be like a willing empath and also an unwilling imp- empath. Yeah. And if you're unwilling, it means that it's not something that like you should hone and spend time on. And it just makes me think of all the like all the like Myers-Briggs and like tests I took when I was younger that are like, you're a giver, you're a mediator. Like this is the position you should be in. It always made me so angry because I was at odds with that because I was so tired. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Everything I had already done, but thanks to therapy (laughs) and just good old fashioned growing up, I am feeling a lot better these days. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So that's something I was reflecting on too. No, totally. And I mean, it, it, so I, my job is as a a giving empath. I mean, when I can't help someone, part of my job is to listen to them, tell their story and make them feel heard. Um, And at least I can give that. And then I also spend a lot of my job uh, mediating. Yeah. Because I like, I'm between my clients and, the uh, mezzanine administrative agency that I'm trying to help them work with. And it's, it's quite, it is a mediating job. And it's funny because I never, and sometimes you're an action hero running to the social security office and literally forcing them bodily to give you a file. Okay. I've I've never attacked a federal employee, (laughs) but you put your body in there. I put my body in that space. It was a physical experience. I came away with the file that I needed. So yeah. Yeah. Oh dear. Um, and I didn't, I don't know. i definitely have dissonance over like who I am and what I want to be doing versus like not seeing myself as a good person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I try. And yeah. so what's very important to me is since I spend my energy at work, 
being that person is when I come home, you, it is tough to get me out of the house. I know. Uh, because like I need to be, and it's not, I'm not like sequestering myself in an unhealthy way. It is very healthy for me to yeah. nest, to read, to walk around with my audiobooks or my podcast or like, you know, is that self-care thing? Exactly. And we all need to figure out the way that we can actually replenish our energy. Mm-hmm. And for Talia, she seems to replenish energy by being with people and having these experiences. And it's so interesting because she comes in so painfully shy. But she's really um, an extrovert. But she's she not energy introverted. From yeah. other humans. Yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. what I came to understand over the course of the book. And then I felt good about her characterization <laughs> in that way. Um, at first, I was just like, oh, you can't be everything. <laughs> it You're gonna die. Um, and yeah, and, and her shyness is born of her like total fear that everyone's gonna abuse her. abuse her, which yeah. some of them do. Some people do horribly abuse her in this yeah. book. And she won't tell anyone about it because she thinks they won't believe her and that she's going mad because they send her notes that disappear when she reads them. The bullying in this book, I mean, we've covered a lot of bad bullying in uh, other books we've But they, like, discussed. just try to kill her. They try to kill her. Yeah. yeah. I can't... I, off the top of my head, can't think of any other, like... Well, technically, they, that they're not straight-up bullies at that point. They've been instructed to right. get rid of her. But, like, they definitely relish being mean. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. They're taunting her as right. they rub feces into her hair and face and then throw her into a frozen river. Yeah, like, they're enjoying it. And, and also give her a clue about who they are by saying say hello to Talamir for us. I was yeah. like, okay, a little heavy. <laughs> that, was a, that was a poor choice. It was the worst part of the book was the political subplot. Um, yeah, and I one of the ways I tried to um, come to terms with it is saying like, okay, well, Talia doesn't understand what's going on politically. Totally. Like yeah. she's doing her own thing. She's figuring herself out, figuring out her skills, um, helping people figuring out what she wants and can do. And yeah. like necessarily she's a soldier. She's part of the politics, but she's, she's a soldier. She doesn't, she does what she's told and mm-hmm. you know, she supports how she can, but she doesn't have like big picture knowledge yet. So that's how I tried to explain it. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And we do, even though we get some perspective shifts, we do spend most of the time in Talia's, in Talia's perspective. Head, yeah. And she is, like spending long periods of time having pneumonia and being bedridden and then also just like focusing on her studies and then also just trying to hook up with Skiff. So like there's a lot. Failing to (laughs) hook up with her friend. There's just (laughs) failing. Um, And honestly, I don't mind because I think that Mercedes Lackey did such a good job with the actual discussion of the magical education um, and then Talia's gradual emotional growth that like, I just didn't need that. I did keep thinking about it. Like you said, in contrast with, um, a lot of the first adventure, because there, there is a political plot that is blossoming and it's very compelling and intriguing. Yeah. Um, and but you that's part of Tamara Pierce's books. Like the, that's what she's she's so good the at. The political intrigue, like tied into these really compelling characters, yeah. and like she kind of does mysteries, basically. And she, no, she absolutely does, and she brings like the macro and micro together in a really great way. We're a Tamara Pierce fan cast. <laughs> I also, I just finally uh, finished working on our my little mini Briars book episodes. So I've been thinking about that too, because that is such an insular, intimate, small scale book compared mm-hmm. to like what a lot of the other stuff she does. And Briars book is similar to Heirs of the Queen in that way, I would say. It's more about one person and their growth. Yeah. Anyway, um, extended Tamara Pierce, Pierce comparison. So let's talk a little bit about the magic system mm-hmm. in this book, which we've touched on. Um, yeah. It's very interpersonal um, or inter-being because there are the companions that are really the um, stars of the show. Like Mm -hmm. they decide who a herald will be. There's no human involvement in the Mm -hmm. selection. 
Yeah, it's there's definitely a mixing of um, deities and magic in a way that it, it's also present in the Obsidian trilogy um, because like the gods sent the companions yeah. and that's that's real. Like the companions are around. There's definitely somebody that sent them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Somebody very powerful because they are in their own right yeah. deities. Like they're magical creatures. Um, and they can, they can die, um, but they can also, you know, they have magical powers. They pick people magically who are like the most incredible humans around and the people they pick have magical powers too. And you're right. The magic is all, it's about relationships. Mm -hmm. It's, it doesn't exist in a void. It's very, it ties people together and you need more people to be able to do strong magic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I loved getting uh, the scene at the end of multiple students and heralds working together Mm -hmm. to go to Elsa's body and retrieve the hidden messages, but also they were in arrow um, shafts. They were in hollow arrow shafts, um, but they needed Talia to show them how to get there by following the emotional path that she had followed to find her in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I appreciated that. And I, even the students and the heralds who are like fire bringers and, you know, have skills that seem like they are more isolated and like, yeah, you don't really need the support and love of someone else to (laughs) set a rock on fire. (laughs) Um, But because of the way that they study in that environment and then also because they're sent out on isolated journeys Mm -hmm. to go and take care of different areas and act as judges in those regions. Um, They really need a home to come back to. And so they really rely on the relationships that they build at the collegium Mm -hmm. because that's their respite. Like that's what they get when they're done wandering the terrifying earth. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I liked the magic system. I liked that it wasn't so heavy, that it was a lot more, I don't know. I like it when magic isn't that much explained when it's just like it's magic. We also got something kind of fascinating. Uh, the snippet where Talia's learning how to do the truth spell um, from Ilsa and she says that they don't have that many spells anymore because they lost most of them. Um, so this she, could be like some kind of post greater civilization yeah, society. Right. Which I'm sure we'll learn more about in the second and third books. Um, but, uh, it, it was kind of, are you going to read them? I think I'm going to read them. I'd like to read them. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to find out what happens. Really curious to see what comes next, especially, Oh, go ahead. Because the emotional stakes can only get greater. And we were so tied into this already. And, uh, you want the sexy time? (laughs) (laughs) more of a book two thing young madeline would like talia to have like at least like some on-page smooching before it pans away okay i can appreciate that that's, that's what uh <laughs> i hope for um yeah so cool magic system empathy focused we like it yeah shall we talk about animals just like animals in this book just like animals in this book um, as we discussed, it's mainly a focus on godly horses. <laughs> Gorses. Gorses. I, I think it's very funny that Elspeth is successfully convinced that, like, the horses want to <laughs> murder her. Yeah. Um, and I get it. Like, a significantly, or a... I'm looking for an mm-hmm. adequately terrifying childhood scary story can mess you up for years to come. Don't talk about the girl with the green ribbon around her neck to me. Those scary stories to tell in the dark really mess me up good, man. But uh, they're just so loving and sweet and frolicking around the field. Like they make everyone happy. Yep. They're like unicorns in that way. Yep. They, I mean, they're definitely a unicorn analog. I one of my favorite parts of the book is just when Talia has first run away and it's just her and Roland set out to get to the collegium. Hanging <laughs> out. Like chilling on the road. Like buddy comedy. <laughs> Roland's showing her what's up and trying she, to teach her things. She's just like, I'm going to eat the horse food. <laughs> it's really a bummer. 
talk more about that in a second. Um, <laughs> but they also have a mind connection and what child, what young reader doesn't want to be able to talk to animals. Um, it's really, I mentioned this in my Briar's book episode too. Uh, there's no magic you know, like natural inherent magic skill that I feel like most children would want more than being able to talk to animals. Yeah. And Talia discovers to her delight that even though she thought at first that it was just because when companions choose their heralds, they always say in their minds, I choose you. And the herald hears them, the herald to be hears them saying it. And then they may never be able to mind call with them again. Yeah. Um, but they will always hear them say it in that moment. And that feels so validating too. Like yeah. you get to be chosen and have it be so decisive i really liked that and especially for someone who like is in talia's position at that time totally um and it's i mean i'm vindicating i'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here get excited for it but i i love animals um grace does too in that i hate them (laughs) graphic design is my passion um i like i have a dog and a cat um, the dog is pig. The cat is Mary, like Mary and Pippin. Um, and the, I really feel that just that magical when, when the animal, any animal, but your own, especially because they're family, they look at you in the eyes and, you know, come towards you and you could squish their little faces, <laughs> give them a squishy on their head. And it's just, it feels magical. Because your love and affection for each other and your trust has transcended the the species species barrier. No, I know, I know. Which is a big barrier. People, humans, have trouble communicating with other humans. They have a lot of trouble doing it. And sometimes I have trouble communicating with my cats, too. Let's (laughs) be real. But to be able to have that connection, like, for me, it's straight fantasy stuff. Like, it's magic. And that's part of why I love animals so much. It's my tangent. Totally agree. That's why we do this segment. (laughs) So, yeah, it feels it's very satisfying to get to live that out in a book such as this one. Yeah. With that mention of humans eating horse food, I'd love to talk a little bit more about the pretend food that is featured in this book. Pretend food. We get a lot of different food experiences here. It's not a fully hungry book, as I like to call adventuring books, where the victuals are far and few between. Um, Stress me out. But we do have hungry book moments. Yeah. Um, when Talia is first, like we mentioned, adventuring with Roland, she is given some meat pies to make last for like yeah, forever. That dude straight up gave her horse food. Like, how come nobody goes back and says to that dude? Especially after seeing how capable most of the adults in this book are, because I, at that point I was still operating under the pretense of like, oh, my God, the Holderkin are horrible. OK, this dude's at least helping her a right, little bit. Yeah. But then after seeing how everyone else is really attended really attentive to her needs. I was like, like, what? Somebody go back and tell that guy, stop telling and like, yeah, the just new heralds to eat horse food. Th- and this poor, exhausted girl who is not going to tell the horse to stop because she's like, I have to go to the collegium. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. I have to return this mm-hmm. horse. Like, she doesn't know anything about anything. Doesn't she doesn't even know that she's been chosen. Anything. She's not given any information. And the few, the, the woman that she, the herald that she comes across later does give her more information. And I understand if they want her to like get to the college to figure it out. But like clearly she needs some help. She's coming from this like cult basically yeah. um, where she has no idea. She hasn't even read the texts that right. are so ubiquitous to everyone else in the land. Yeah. Like she's really coming. She's Yeah. Anyway, so that leads to her being hungry, trying to make her meat pies last, making porridge out of the horse food at the way stations until she gets yelled at for doing that. (laughs) And thankfully told that she needs to stop and ask for a meal, rest. Yeah. Do the things that a human body needs to keep going. Oh, I thought the guy gave her pies that were for the horse. But no, you're right. (laughs) Okay. No, because I thought what you were referring to is that he's like, there's food at the way stations. 
which is the horse food. I thought that the pies he gave her were like pies for horses. (laughs) Everybody knows a horse loves a meat pie. (laughs) If I've said it once, I'll say it a thousand times. Oh, dear. Horses are herbivores, aren't they? Yeah, they don't eat meat. Wow. Yep. Um, Okay. It's okay. Uh, Learning things during every pretend (laughs) food. Wow. Um, We also... So once... Once she is at the collegium, I love the kitchen scenes. Anything that has the cook in them, the head cook. I can't remember his name right now. I'm sorry. Miro, Maro, Maru, whatever your name is. Um, He is really loving to all of the students and he gives special treats to the ones who are helping in the kitchen. And I love the moment so much when they've all had their dinner together and it's time for them to head out. But first he pulls a berry pie from the oven and there's a line that's like 13 year olds struggle to continue along with logical reasoning when berry pie is present and i was like me too 31 year olds do as well we all have that problem i have been i've been baking so much in the last month because it's fruit season here in the northwest um so i've been going to uh, the market in the mornings on Saturday when I get up and getting pie place. Yeah. And getting, uh, um, berries, their, their peaches or rhubarb. My dentist talked to me about nectarines for a good 20 minutes on Friday. Wow. I, you have a good dentist, Grace. Yep. Yeah, he's great. I've been making crumbles and torts. Um, and just like, I live general. right down the street, you know, <laughs> only recently. Uh, I haven't made one for the last few weeks because we've been traveling and busy and stuff. Um, But I'm hoping to do uh, some more before the fruit season ends. So I'll definitely share some with you. But that berry pie really reawakened that fire in me. You can always buy fruit. I know, but so much of the year fruit sucks. It's so often terrible. And I also try to only buy foods that I can get that haven't been transported a long way to get to me. Um, so now is the season to be doing that. What are you making that face about? Of <laughs> Grace. I am exhausted by me. I actually only shop local. <laughs> I just try. I no, know. it's good. I'm like, I don't make as great of an effort. Other favorite food moments in this book. I love the midwinter feast. Yeah, um, that was great. When Talia and Jadis and the servants have dinner together and play music and hang out. So yeah, cute. That made was me so happy. Really cute. Um, and just every moment when she is just continues to be amazed by the variety of food available in the kitchen at the collegium. Yeah. Um, and that she is going to be getting, you know, not like a, sad porridge breakfast but eggs and fruit and mm-hmm. pastries and everything you could imagine yeah um, i i'll always love a book that has like a magical college type kitchen in it yeah. um that is one thing that i definitely took away from the harry potter series um yeah mm-hmm. although it's better when there aren't you know, house elves behind all the labor. We went to Harry Potter World when we went to Universal Studios and I went to, what was that tavern? Was it the Honey? So they have a Honey three, Dukes? Oh, well, not the tavern then, the candy store. <laughs> what was the tavern called? What's the difference between a tavern and a candy shop? If they're good, they're the same. What's <laughs> <laughs> for children, I hope, and what is for adults. I like Chuddy Dukes, and I'm not a children. No. Oh, my God. You're totally missing what I'm saying. Taverns sell alcohol. <laughs> candy shops don't no. sell candy. <laughs> okay. So they have, at Wizarding World of Harry Potter and Universal Studios, they have three broomsticks yeah, attached the to one. the hog's head, which are from uh, Hogsmeade. In I got a chicken... Pot pie? No. I got I accidentally got a sandwich instead of a pastry because I'm an idiot. It wasn't a pasty. It yeah. was a patsy. <laughs> What's British for sandwich? Pity. A toasty. A toasty. And toasty is a grilled sandwich. Anyways, not grilled, a toasted sandwich. Moving on. Anyway, oh my gosh. Um... This, for those of you who are still listening, <laughs> I'm sorry. 
Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll always love institutional food in fantasy books, not in real life. <laughs> Let's be clear. <laughs> What's happening? At a college or something, you know what I'm saying. Okay, I think that's going to be it for pretend food. I had like big plans for that section today, but I can't remember anything now. It's it's seven p.m. and clearly that's too on, late a for us. on a Tuesday. Tuesday. <laughs> Badass lady meter. Would Badass you lady meter. Like to go first? Yes. I'm gonna go with Ilsa because she's really cool. Yeah, Ilsa is uh, living her truth, and I rate her. The wondrous arrival at the afterlife that she tells Talia about. Yeah. I think she calls it the Havens. The Havens. Which Mm -hmm. is a Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. Just some light Lord of the Rings pickpocketing. (laughs) Grey Havens. It's okay. We all do it. Oh, yeah. Um, And, uh, yeah, the uh, glory and hopefully relaxing... (laughs) Atmosphere at the Havens. Yeah. Full of meat pies that are not for horses. Human meat. Well, not human <laughs> meat pies. Not human meat pies. I want to be very clear on that. I know. I keep almost saying horse meat pies. <laughs> <laughs> Things are getting gross. Ilsa. Ilsa is my badass lady. Oh, my badass lady is going to be Cheryl or Sherry, as Talia calls her. Neither of us, is Neither of us picked Talia. Talia. But we've already talked we've about already Talia at length. Given um, her accolades. We've given her her day. We've yeah. talked about how bright and shining and wonderful she is. Um, I really like Cheryl because she is put into a mentorship position to Talia from the start. And Talia must be really difficult to mentor. Um, Because she she won't talk to her. Won't talk to anyone. And she has such intense walls up emotionally. um, And just in general is, of course, very grateful for everything that's happening in her life, not the collegium, but like so resistant to it all at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet Cheryl perseveres. Uh, she breaks through and becomes one of Talia's close friends. She yeah. also came from a similar upbringing that sounds like, well, it had a lot more love. <laughs> it's also similarly tough. difficult. Yeah, also um, tough. And uh, just the every time, <laughs> I think one of the funniest lines in the book is when she comments on how crowded the long house that her family, who were fisher folk, lived in in the winter was and how she was genuinely shocked that there were so many babies running around because she didn't know how people found the privacy to keep those babies coming. Yeah. (laughs) That was a good one. Um, And Cheryl also, she gets her whites by the end of the book. She advances and she's ready for a journey and chooses that moment to do the one last thing that she feels she needs to do for Talia's sake, which is to give her a birds and the bees talk. Contraception talk. (laughs) And then Tell her about the birth control powder. Love the women the can birth take. control discussion. Amazing, in this book. really cool. Amazing, really cool. Uh, only, only better fantasy birth control I've seen is from the Lioness Quartet when they could just like wear a charm, <laughs> wear a baby charm prevention charm. Pregnant. Can I get one of those, please? Um, but this birth control powder is similar to hormonal birth control that we mm-hmm. take in our world because you can use it to skip your moon cycle. And they discuss that. Mm-hmm. So literally, there is a really informative, useful discussion about birth control in yeah. this book that was written in the late eighties. Yeah, this fantasy book for. Young women, which yeah. is really cool. It's awesome. Really and it's cool. also paired with a discussion of, hey, you've noticed we all have sex for pleasure and yet mm-hmm. we don't get pregnant. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. It's really important for young mm-hmm. people to hear these kinds of conversations. Yeah. Um, so for all that, I give Cheryl a full life without a baby if she don't want it. <laughs> hey, Cheryl, get out there and get your stuff done. <laughs> no babies, baby. <laughs> if you don't want them. And that is it for our discussion of Arrows of the Queen by Mercedes Lackey. Um, Thank you again, Jenny, for requesting this. Thank you, Jenny. If any of you have thoughts about this book, if you would like to request another book, 
if you want to chastise us for talking so much about Harry Potter in this episode. <laughs> Harry Potter, a book we will never a do. A series we vowed to never cover. Yeah, that we will nevertheless talk about And yet is creeping in. Yeah. Um, get in touch. You can email us at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Contact us on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram, shoot us a DM at Dragon Babies Podcast or on Twitter at Dragon Babies Pod. And because our new practice is to announce our next book at the very end of the episode for all those who are the most faithful listeners, <laughs> our next book will be The Blue Sword by Robin McKinley. Oh, Robin McKinley. Very excited, much requested. Yeah. I yeah. can't wait to get into it. So Sunday, tuned. Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> we will be back on a regular schedule next month. Thank you for putting up with the uh, summer shenanigans. Light release schedule this August. Um, yeah. And thanks so much for listening, guys. Thank you. And gals and whoever you identify. Y'all. Thanks for listening, y'all. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye.